0: Hello and welcome to In Unison. I'm Zane Fiala. And I'm Giacomo G. Grigoli. And this is our podcast all about new choral music and the composers, conductors, choristers, and administrators who bring it to life.
1: Let's start the show!
0: Hey everyone, today's ensemble-focused episode is about Lorelei Ensemble, a spectacular group of women led by artistic and executive directors Beth Willer and Anne Riesenfeld. It's been extremely rewarding to myself and Giacomo to chat with so many choral leaders this season, and we hope you all have enjoyed learning more about the diversity and excellence of choral ensembles around the world. To get us started today, let's hear a recording of Lorelei Ensemble from their 2016 album, Reconstructed. Five of the tracks on this CD are Joshua Bornfield's composition, Reconstruction, which is a set of adaptations of mid-19th century Sacred Revival and Sacred Harp songs. In fact, you may recognize the tune and words of Mercy Seat. But I think you'll be pleasantly surprised by the composer's unique alterations, making this a whole new experience. Here is the piece entitled, Crowns. Today on In Unison, we are super lucky to be joined by two guests, Beth Willer and Anne Riesenfeld from Lorelei Ensemble. Lorelei is an organization that creates and champions bold artistic work that points toward a new normal for women in music. They are deeply committed to crafting musical experiences that are transformative, not only for their audience, but for themselves and for our art form. Through commissioning, performance, and education, Lorelai is carving out a boundless new space for women to be among and become our most powerful and important creators. Now, let's just take a moment to get to know our guests a little better. First up... Beth Willer is the founder and artistic director of Lorelei Ensemble. Since starting this journey in 2007, Beth's commitment to the contemporary vocal art has guided Lorelei to become recognized as one of the country's most highly regarded vocal ensembles. A profound collaborator and motivating leader, Beth has premiered numerous works and conducted some of the finest ensembles. She is also associate professor and director of choral studies at the Peabody Conservatory of the Johns Hopkins University, where she leads vocal ensembles ensembles, and is designing the Conservatory's new graduate degree in choral conducting. Beth holds a DMA and Master's from Boston University and a Bachelor of Arts from Luther College. Also joining us today is Lorelei's executive director, Anne Riesenfeld, a professional performer and administrator specializing in vocal and choral music. Anne holds a bachelor's degree in performance and composition from Bennington College and a master's degree in vocal performance from the New England Conservatory. She has performed as a soloist and chorus member in the United States and Europe with multiple recordings on the Tellark label. She was on the voice faculty at the New School of Music before taking on the role of executive director, which she held for five years. Most recently, she served for 13 years as the executive director of the Cambridge based choral ensemble, Musica Sacra. Beth, and thank you so much for joining us today. We are very excited to chat with you and learn more about Lorelei Ensemble.
2: Glad to be here. Yeah. Thanks for having us.
0: It's
3: wonderful to have you both. We love kicking off getting to know you a bit more personally with an icebreaker. So I have one each for each of you. And, uh, and I'll actually start with you because I, I, I like this question personally. We haven't asked it yet. So okay. let's, let, me t- let me toss this one out to you. If you could see one movie again for the first time, what would it be and why?
2: So um, I guess my answer is a little embarrassing for me because um, I feel like I'm able to see movies multiple times because I forget them so readily um <laughs> it's it's both movies and books I I read them I see them and I retain sort of how I felt about them <laughs> but not necessarily the specifics so there's a there's a movie um Little Miss Sunshine oh, yeah. that I recently I saw way back when it came out before I had kids and then I re-watched it with my um younger son who was 16 at the time. And it, it really was like watching it all over again and sort of seeing it through his eyes. It was it was um, that movie is just phenomenal, it's sort of a dark comedy with all kinds of great themes for families to watch together. So. I would say that's the one.
3: <laughs> I love that film. My family yeah. and I still watch that. We joke about it. Anytime the car breaks down, we all just get out and start pushing the little bus. It's great. It's,
2: it's fantastic. Yeah.
3: And I, I love that. I love the idea that we can re-experience something like that. And, you know, you, you don't remember what people said to you, but you always remember how they made you feel.
2: Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. probably
3: the same with art, right? We leave with a feeling, which feels, which feels wonderful. Uh, thank you for that. Beth, a question, a icebreaker for you. Have you ever met your idol or someone you revere greatly?
4: I, I have. I'm going to start by two people I wish I would have met. I would have loved to meet Claudia Monteverdi oh. <laughs> and <Yeah>. RBG. <laughs> those uh, yes. My, those are my two. Um, both pioneers um, in a way that I just can't even fathom changing an art form or changing, you know, the way we think about the Supreme Court in the way that those two folks have have. Um, I'm really lucky. Very recently, starting my position at Peabody, that I share an office wall with uh, Marin Alsop, um, who is, you know, the first uh, woman to conduct a major symphony orchestra. Now there is another um, down in Atlanta, so we're excited about that. But I have I have just um, admired Marin for a long time, and I still get a little bit of fangirl when I come in and I see her sitting there with her door open, and I can say, "Hey, Marin." <laughs> I'm so, so I'm um, thrilled to be able to um, to teach with her and watch her teach and um, and know that that we get to be at this wonderful institution together. Makes me a little nervous when I'm sitting at the piano playing and I think she might be over there listening.
3: But, uh. <laughs> well, ch- channeling RBG a bit, you know, uh, when will there be enough women uh, running major orchestras in the United States? Well, when they're running all of them. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Exactly. We-
2: exactly. Yeah. Give us the next 200 years and then we'll be even. Yeah.
0: Yes. <laughs>
3: Agreed. Agreed.
0: Well, in the introduction, we talked a little bit about Lorelai and, uh, and the ethos, but I think it would be great to hear maybe from Beth's, uh, in Beth's own words, if we can hear maybe what the general ethos is of Lorelai Ensemble and how it got started.
4: Yeah, I mean, it started from a, a little seed inside, inside of me that I really loved working with um, Trouble Voices and, and with groups of all women. And I started doing that at a young age um, in my very first years of teaching. And when I came to Boston University uh, for my master's uh, almost 15 years ago now, um, I really, uh, I could see that there was a need not only in that institution, but just uh, more widely um, in our field, to kind of raise the bar, uh, not only on the quality of singing, but the quality of the re- of repertoire of all vocal ensembles. And I, I really knew that I had wanted to see an all-professional vocal ensemble of all women standing in front of me at some point when I was when I was younger, and, and really um, sort of giving me that to to aim for. And I hope that we, you know, are that for a lot of young women. Now, and what's really exciting, I think, um, after 15 years of doing this work that I will occasionally now get an email from someone who met us 10 years ago in a residency and has since founded their own um, treble Vocal Ensemble doing this work and continuing the mission of Lorelei, which is really to expand this repertoire, but not just to expand the repertoire, to change the way um, that a group of women or a group of treble Voices enters a stage and what, what we as audience members um, and us as artists as well expect to hear from a group like that what they expect us uh, the sounds they expect us to make the uh, words they expect us to sing the um, clothes they expect us to wear and of course we have really far more narrow expectations i think for women than we do um, uh, uh, for men and and also um, for those non-binary folks we have very clear ideas of what we think they should be doing um, and, and I just want to kind of blow that up and knock all those walls down and say, let's all just um, be the most, you know, the artist that's most true to ourselves. And I think the women of Lorelei um, are really on board with that in a really um, exciting and powerful way. And, and we bring that into every residency and every performance.
3: As a mission driven organization, I have to imagine that you, you very thoughtfully and very carefully plan each of your artistic seasons probably well in advance. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey from the moment that you sort of have a germ or an idea for a program you'd like to put out in the future until its realization? How far ahead do you generally plan and what do you consider when you program?
4: I mean, I think this has shifted for Lorelei in a way because we used to self-produce a whole series in Boston and now we kind of have these projects that might live with us for a couple of years or that might evolve from one thing into another. Um, And we've also increasingly been doing um, more extended works that works with symphony orchestra that, you know, that's an end of the repertoire that needs even more expansion than the um, shorter and cappella repertoire. And I think like a lot of artistic directors, regardless of what kind of ensemble you're leading, you have like multiple piles in your office of pieces that you've heard of texts that you're dreaming of setting um, composers that you're hoping to work with. I mean, I can't tell you how many files I have on my computer that are just brainstorms of, just, you know, nuggets of ideas, sometimes a little further fleshed out. And sometimes it has nothing to do with repertoire. I I have, you know, an idea of something I want to say something about, and then I have to find the right creators that help me figure out how to say that thing. Um, And for Lorelei, you know, we really are primarily a new music ensemble. There's limited historical repertoire um, that was really intended uh, for women to sing. There's, of course, repertoire for treble voices, but not female treble voices as much in the past, you know, seven centuries. And so um, I've sought out in past programs a lot of that existing rep and built programs around it. Around it um, but that is not as deep of a pit of existing repertoire as I, as I wish it was. Um, and so we've really now leaned quite a bit harder into creating new work. and And for me, that's often multiple years of phone conversations and coffees with composers just kind of brainstorming what it is that we want to say together um and sometimes that comes from them sometimes that comes from me sometimes that's one person's idea and then i get three or four other composers that can kind of reflect um reflect on or even counter uh another piece that's being created so you know, I don't think there's a formula for how it happens. I think you have to figure out how to organize your your many disparate ideas, and you know, probably 10% of them come to fruition, and the other 90% just kind of float out there until they find their um, find their home in a program, and that's okay with me, right?
3: <laughs> how often do current events sort of play into those thoughts that happen within your 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 mind, or when you think about programming? Because, as you describe it, I mean, art takes sometimes quite a bit of time, and then sometimes actually you can take something and spontaneously turn it around or sort of offer that concept. How often do you try to bring things to the fore that you're feeling and experiencing today? And how often do those ideas, how long do you typically let those ideas germinate before they become a program?
4: Yeah, I mean, even even before thinking about making something into a program, I think it it just feels essential to me as any kind of an artist that the work that we're doing feels relevant to our audience and to the artists performing it. Um, and that might be a parallel with a historical moment, but in ideally I think there's gonna be some sort of immediate relevance to you know the experiences that we're having in the current day. And those might be really personal experiences, um, but they also might be larger political or so social issues that we um, kind of collectively as a group are thinking about. Um, I wouldn't say that I intentionally make our programs to be, you know, there's a movement of sort of social justice repertoire. And I think that's powerful. I don't think that's what Lorelei is doing, right. It's more of kind of a humanist approach um, and thinking about the human experience and how we can reflect on that sometimes across centuries, but also sometimes um, solely in, in this particular moment uh, with a particular um, group of people and their experience. And, and so I, I, that's, it's so a really roundabout way of saying I, I think I allow that into my programming when it feels really natural, um, but I definitely don't force that into my program- programming I think there's a lot of human experience that is consistent across centuries also. And I find that really powerful when we can have a text that is from, you know, let's say the the you know 16th century uh, that feels like it could have been written yesterday. Uh, and an example of that would be um, Jessica Meyer's uh, setting of Sappho fragments, right? Um, and some of the oldest words that we've sung, but because of the way they're fragmented in the manuscript, the way the manuscript has not been well preserved, it feels like contemporary poetry. And the gaps between that text can really be filled in by the living listener in the room or the living artist in the room. and um, but we also know enough about Sappho's history and and her identity that we can sort of reach back into past centuries and think about how our experiences parallel. And so um, I love that parallel of ancient and new whenever that's possible, Uh, but sometimes, you know, it's, it's fully, fully new also.
3: It's remarkable that that's the choice that you chose, because it, it's interesting. We just did a setting also of sapphic fragments by a composer, first-time composer named uh, Soren Ostenfeld, who actually I think is the Voice Lab. I don't know if you know Soren, but uh, they're in Boston um, and actually sang with IOC for, for many, many years. And, and you're right. I mean, the relevance that we felt as artists as well in tackling this text. I mean, it's just wonderful to see the reverberations and how that could have been written today. So many of those things could have been written today.
0: Let's listen to some of that composition now a blending of the old and the new. Composer Jessica Meyer calls this work a 21st century response to one of her favorite song cycles, Schumann's Frauenliebe und Leben. And on her website, she says, I wanted to create a cycle that depicts women having the courage to live their lives boldly while growing older gracefully, assuredly, and proudly. Here are the first two movements of Jessica Meyer's cycle of Sappho Fragments titled... I Long and Seek After, performed by Lorelei Ensemble.
3: Obviously, from from a humanist perspective, clearly you you will lead with heart, and you'll the intellectual part of this is wonderful. But um, I imagine that when you're finding and retaining artists, that must be a big part of what you consider in terms of what they bring to the table. Maybe you can tell us what do you look for in your performers?
4: Yeah, I mean, there's the practical things, right? That we know that we need that they you know are top notch musicians and can take the music off the page quickly and not just accurately, but also with like really genuine um, uh, interpretation, right? And unique interpretation. But I think what is increasingly becoming um, necessary in vocal ensemble work specifically in these one and a part vocal ensembles like Lorelei is that every artist has a truly individual vocal personality as a soloist that they can also then bring to this collective sound. and so every you know member of Lorelai and every new member of Lorelei brings something that no other artist is currently bringing, or maybe even in the past has brought, in terms of their expertise, in terms of their you know vocal um, personality and 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 timbre, uh, but also maybe just you know their presence on the stage. And and I I'm looking definitely for that as well, not someone who wants to sort of disappear into. Um, a more anonymous sound, but that really wants to maintain uh, their unique uh, musicianship in this collaborative context. That is, I always tell this to my students, you know, the easy way out as, a, as an ensemble musician is to like blend in. That's the easy way to sing in tune. That's the easy way to balance. That's the easy way you know, to be cohesive. The hard way to be cohesive is to find a way to not let go of yourself, um, while also being very aware of the people next to you. And when a, an artist walks into an audition with Lorelei and is able to do that, um, I want to work with them. You know, And then they bring also something uh, into the rehearsal process, particularly, um, that is not only, you know, Beth tell me what you want, and I'll do it, but also, that's let me tell you what I think about how we might sing this or what repertoire we might sing or, you know, whatever it is, that they come with this sort of uh, respectful and collaborative um, way of, of being that also, you know, has ideas and has um, excitement about changing the art form.
2: Oh, I just wanted to jump in and say that the first time that I, I heard Laura. I think that was there were a lot of reasons why I said to myself, I need to work with these people. But but that that piece of it, you know, to hear this group of eight women with unique sounds and 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 that they weren't clearly being encouraged to to blend. But I was I was discovering each of them as individuals. And of course, the repertoire that Beth chooses accentuates that and that. And to me, that was one of the just most, um, it, it was a revelation <laughs> to hear them.
3: What an incredible lesson to take even beyond our art form, right? I mean, it's something we should all strive for every day to feel that we Precisely. can be individuals mm-hmm. in a cohesive, non-homogeneous mm-hmm. way that we can exist with one another, make space for each other and be our truthful selves. That's wonderful. Um, I wanted to touch upon um, this notion... Uh, uh, Beth, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, you touched upon it a little bit earlier. Um, and, and I'm particularly interested in your perspective on this as well, because, um, executive director to executive director, this is something <laughs> that I'm particularly curious about, uh, uh, learning about. You referred to your seasons now as changing sort of a little bit, uh, you refer to them as projects, which I, I saw on the, on your website that you sort of have a, a stable of upcoming projects that you're considering that you're working on that are active. Um, but this model has shifted a little bit, um, can you tell us both a little bit about what you mean um, by this notion of, of projects, how you present them, um, and why you've made this this uh choice?
4: Yeah, this is interesting because we've been talking about this quite a bit <laughs>
2: lately. Uh, We're working on a new web- website. So Oh great. It's very, oh, much, good, good. very much a topic at 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 hand. Um, um, Beth, do you want I to can start speak or? A little
4: bit, yeah. To it? yeah. And then you can follow. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, because I think we've had to sort of have these conversations between the two of us to make sure we understand what that is. Um, And to me, a project is something we are working on, something we are developing. It is, um, you know, it could be a shorter piece, but it's in collaboration with with a composer that's gonna be part of a larger program. It could be a full length program. It could be adding choreography to a piece that we've already recorded. Um, But these are the things that are sort of currently in the lab, right? Um, and that have the potential for performance uh, either by themselves or as part of something larger. It's different than a concert, right? Um, And I think this is something that I feel more and more in the 21st century, both as a teacher and as a performer, is that the process of creating something and the process of collaborating with other creators um, is just as important as the performance at X venue, right? And so we're really kind of highlighting, as I think, more and more artists are the work that we are working on. And then, if you want to hear us do some of that work, maybe more than one of those things, then you check out our concerts page and see where we're presenting that work. Sometimes those projects are in the works for a couple of years. We have we have a project coming up next year with um, Chris Sarone and Ayana Woods. And uh, Chris and I have been, you know, talking about that project I think for about four years. Um, and of course, some of that delayed because of COVID, but. Uh, but really, only about you know um, one year, and and that was all co-creative work. And I think you know watching that unfold um, is exciting for an audience—not just watching us perform it, but figuring out and understanding how we got there. And and you know that's the truth of artistry: is it's messy, it takes time, um, and and it's that in-between process when we're trying out new things. Um, that I think is is really the most exciting.
2: yeah, I would just add to that that um, you know, from the audience's uh, viewpoint or from our you know the people who who are interested in Lorelei and follow. What we're doing um, for them to be able to see what are we in the process of working on, you know, um, not just that end result concert as Beth was saying, but um, you know, we're so excited about you know taking these steps toward the ultimate um, final project that it's just fun to to share all of that. And then I do think that the you know the pandemic kind of pushed that along as well because. Um, you know, we were very busy during that time, you know, making all kinds of plans and, and we really wanted to share that. So I think maybe that was a bit of the impetus behind putting it on our on our website, but it's going to stay because it's, it's fun to share, you know, what's up and coming. Yeah,
4: I, I want to add to that because I do think over COVID, you know, we had been so used to just talking about our performances and when we couldn't talk about it that way anymore. You're like, well, what do we call this? What's the, mm. you know, header on the menu? <laughs> um, and and I think now also some of our projects aren't live projects. They're recording projects. They're video projects. Um, not that we can't do them live or that we haven't done them live in the past, but we're now developing them in a new way that reaches our virtual audience. So,
3: And what has this done to the administrative and operational sides for, for you, for, for Lorelei? I, I know that most of us who either sing in community choirs or, or sort of, we have this model in our minds that's fairly standard you know we meet a couple times you know meet once a week usually at a you know a church or a school you kind of have this rote sort of thing and you know you stand in front of of a bunch of people in a bunch of rows, and you sing a bunch of music and they come and you sell tickets and now you're gone that's the model most of us know i have to imagine that um going from that model to another which is more sort of forward thinking um which is more sort of um uh, intentionally uh, loose and ambiguous. I'm assuming that these shows can also, or these projects can also tour potentially, like that's kind of the intent of them. Um, that feels very different what was the process like to go through? You you touched upon it a little bit in these conversations and sort of imagining what it was like, but what does that do administratively and operationally to Mm -hmm. an ensemble to make that shift?
2: Mm -hmm. Well, actually, I I have to say that the the part of that shift happened before I joined Lorelei. Um, I've been with the group for about three and a half years, and I think that was around the time that we started working with um, David Middleton, uh, Middleton Arts Management. And so um, we, Laurel. I went from a, you know, a season uh, based in Boston to really a touring ensemble. So I think we're pretty unique in that way and that we're not um, necessarily based in Boston. We always try and um perform here for sure, but um but we're really traveling around the country, you know in 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 normal times um throughout the season. so um, so we work very closely with david um to plan well in advance uh, what our what our season will look like on on tour. but in terms of you know having these big, uh, projects. It's, um, it's exciting and it does take a lot of, of planning for sure, a lot of um, budgeting. You sort of, you take, we, we need to hear Beth's vision. We sort of jump ahead to, you know, X year when this is going to take place. And then we sort of work backwards and and figure out how to fund it and make sure that the vision can become a reality.
3: I, I love that. And, and one of the reasons I, I asked this question is because a few months back, we chatted with my dear friend, Michelle Kennedy, who is ah. uh, a member of the Lorelei Ensemble, who uh, tipped us off to you and we've been fans ever since, which is wonderful. Um, but one of the things she she mentioned in the conversation was that a lesson, it seemed that we were all learning from COVID, was that the larger and more entrenched and more establishment organizations, the, the larger symphonies, the, uh, the these sort of groups, had this moment where they were like, oh, this moment is not great for us. And in fact, the organizations who were a bit more nimble and smaller and flexible could survive in the future. And and the reason I sort of asked this question of you is because I think you, first of all, had a jump on that a little bit, right? So pre, pre-COVID pre to, to your perspective. I, I'm wondering what else you sort of learned from that because it, it's this hard balance between uh, flexibility and the ability to be nimble, which feels like a lesson we learned was incredibly valuable during COVID, but then the need to also sort of be thinking into the future, right? You can't just come up with something. It does take a little bit of foresight and planning. How has this sort of project notion impacted the ability to balance those two sort of needs, the, the ability to plan long-term, but to also be responsive to things that are happening?
2: In terms of, of, of the flexibility that was necessary, I just want to say, I, I've, I've said this to others, but um, Beth... Beth's reaction to that moment was really inspired um, because what she saw and what she took advantage of, I mean, this didn't come out of nothing. This came from her already knowing what was coming down the road in a few years, one of which was this project that she mentioned uh, with, with Chris Cerrone, and another was uh, um, uh, working with Palabalos Dance Group to um, tour the piece "Love Fail" by David Lang. So these were two projects that were, you know, going to be several years down the road. And and Beth, it it felt like in an instant, realized, aha, we can't get together to um, perform. So we're going to have Chris write the first movement of the piece that he's, you know, writing for us in a couple of years, we'll have everybody record it in their homes and we'll have the uh, video designer in Germany design the first uh, movement's uh, video for for the piece. And and so virtually um, where we didn't have necessarily a lot of Videos from the past that we could put up on on the internet, like so many groups did, we were able to create new art during that time. I mean, it was just, it was such an inspired moment. And in, and um, and similarly with with Lang Dance, the uh, dancers got together and took our our audio, and and again we had a brand new piece of art to present. Um, during that time. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that was just a moment that to me uh, will forever be kind of a great one in the history of Florellae.
3: It's wonderful. It sounds like, you know, uh, there was a story to be told and that story was going to come out and a point of view is going to be sort of told one way or another. And if mm-hmm. I, if I may be so uh, cheeky, you might say that where there's a Beth Willer, there's a way, <laughs> so, <laughs> which is really I great to the board see. I think would Actually, agree. We
4: would all agree with well, that. Yes. I want to jump into, I want to say, first of all, I was not there right away. It took me a couple months to get there. Um, as many artistic directors were in April, <laughs> sort of like just in total denial that this was coming down the pike, right? Right. Um, But the other thing, and I would thank the board and Anne for getting behind the other idea I had, um, which was to go back to music that we had commissioned in past seasons and never recorded that we should have. And so that included James Collenbach's Antigone, which he wrote for us in Cello Quartet um, back in 2017, and a piece by Scott Ordway um, from back in 2014, Northwoods both incredible pieces i think among the best pieces that we've um commissioned also and jessica meyer's sacco settings which we had just premiered in fall of 2019 um and when we were able to you know secure some funding um to recover from this terrible year um to have the support of the staff and the board uh to go ahead and and create art with that uh with those resources and we put together. You know the recording of these three incredible pieces, and no, we couldn't afford to commission something brand new and record it, but we could afford to make you know an excellent recording of something that you know we we should have we should have recorded previously, and I find that really exciting. Um, and you know, it was about just thinking about in this very unpredictable time, what are the things that uh, you know that we can can bring forward that are not just to fill the space, but that we could be really excited about. And I think that was, that was the biggest challenge, you know, for many of us as artistic directors in, in that last year and a half is, you know, there are some things I can think about doing, but, but are those the things that I'm really excited to do? And I think we managed to find a number of projects um, that I'm happy to go back to and continue to develop beyond COVID, and, and that to me um, feels like a small triumph in the face of this huge challenge that we've all um, been facing.
2: Yeah, and as an organization, just specifically about recordings, it was such a, it was such a good um, uh, moment for us to really recommit to recording uh, our commissions. Um, and, and seeing the value in that. So that was, um, you know, that, of, of lessons learned, I think that was an excellent one. That moving forward, to be able to record a piece and not let it just kind of, you know, here's this incredible, uh, a number of incredible works. We don't want these pieces to just languish. And, you know, we need to share them. We, we want others to sing them. Um,
0: so, Let's take a moment and listen to a new recording of an older composition. From a Japanese composer named Toru Takemitsu, who actually wrote very few choral works, this is the first movement of a piece called Kaze no Uma, or Wind Horse. Written in 1966, it is a modern, sparse, and virtuosic snapshot of sonic colors, and can be found on Lorelei's 2018 album Impermanence.
3: I feel like I've already been witnessing this in real time. But I wanted to talk a little bit about the ideal relationship between an artistic and executive branches of an organization. If you can offer maybe just a couple of pieces of advice to folks about um, either someone who's looking for a new AD or an ED or like to improve their relationship or things like that, what's a piece of advice you might give um, to sort of improve that relationship or to, to? what are the building blocks of making an excellent relationship between the artistic and executive branches of an organization?
2: So. I, I feel so strongly about this. And, and um, as was mentioned, I worked for 13 years with a, a group called Musica Sacra, another choral group. And, and I learned this then. And that is that um, there just needs to be an absolute clear delineation between what is artistic and what is administrative. And um, what Beth and I have and we're so fortunate to have is, I believe, total uh, trust in each other. So that, that line is clear. I don't try to suggest, you know, what she might program. I don't, you know, um, and, and she has equal trust in, in me. And, um, I mean, that is bottom line, um, most important. And I, and I would extend that frankly to the board because that's something that I've seen in the, in the past that can get, um, a little tricky as well. You know, if, if, if a, a board also needs to have um, absolute trust in their artistic staff um, and allow them to, uh, you know, define the vision, and that the that the board and the administrative staff are there to support that vision.
4: I want to say that when we um, when we hired Anne, uh, the trust that I felt almost immediately. Uh, freed me up artistically in a way that I had not felt with Lorelai. So as a founder, um, you know, for many years, I was doing everything <laughs> um, to, like, you know, get to a point where I actually don't completely understand the budget. It was really wonderful for me to not be able to answer questions about the internal workings <laughs> of non-artistic things, you know. And and that was a real transition that I don't feel like I fully made until Anne, um, Anne came on and just said, I got this and I, I trust her to do things way better than I ever would have, you know, and, um, that's been really freeing for me, but also, uh, you know, actually, Anne came on after I left Boston, we've never lived in, you know, and worked together in the same city. Uh, and we talk to each other on zoom multiple times or on the phone a week. Uh, and we have like one dedicated meeting, but, uh, something that I really love about our relationship, and maybe this is just our personalities too. We are both so willing to disagree with each other
1: Mm -hmm.
5: and to
4: have conversations about our disagreements the last thing you need is an artistic director or an executive director who just defers to the other and i can imagine that's especially difficult as the executive director of a founder (laughs) Uh, because i do have a lot of really strong opinions about what lorelei um, is and what it will become and um, there are times where i'm and i am a stubborn Person, and I will say it must be this, and Anne will s- disagree with me without emotion. Um, and has caused me to like reevaluate some of my very strong opinions sometimes in, in a way that um, has served Lorelei uh, so positively. I mean, there's nothing better than having two minds thinking about the best interest of an organization from very different perspectives. And to be able to do that without, you know, being frustrated just to be grateful that there's someone there that can offer a perspective that, that I can't offer myself. Right. Um, I think that's, you know, part of why we work so well together. It's, it's a really honest, um, and fun relationship. We can also like sit down and have a glass of wine and have a great time. So, you know, I think that's important that we have, um, that ability to just to be together and not, have a facade
3: right yeah i love the notion also of just strong beliefs loosely held mm. that you're you're open to input and feedback you can have your opinion you can you can feel it very strongly but the ability to be open to those points of views and things to to modify feels absolutely wonderful mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and and a vital part of a really great uh, working relationship yeah now the two of you are planning for the future what do you think Lorelei's biggest challenge looks like over the next. L- let's sort of get out of COVID for a moment and assume that we'll take the lessons forward. That that you know we're, we're sort of stumbling across for the next year. What do the next three to five years look like, and what do you feel are the biggest challenges facing you at this moment?
2: So, Lorelai, I, I mean, it feels as though every day we are thrown a new fantastic opportunity. I mean there really is like a pent up uh desire to see this ensemble I have to say um so we are being um approached a lot um for for upcoming upcoming projects and so what we are going through now as an organization um we have a five-year strategic plan we're actually kind of in the right in the in the middle of of that five year plan but um the the ensemble the organization is um is growing and um you know keeping up right now it feels as though artistic is getting a little bit ahead of ahead of um administrative and organizational so sort of making sure that we're that we're keeping the organization um, moving forward at the same rate that that artistically we're moving forward is is I I think our our greatest challenge. Um, but it is something that we saw. I mean, back in 2019 when we made our strategic plan, and that was pre-COVID. I mean, we saw this coming. This was always kind of the
3: the plan. So, are you pushing more? I mean, when you think about priorities for it through the next several years, is it about um, expanding the footprint of the organization and awareness is it about uh, domestically internationally do you know what are some of the dimensions that you think about when you think about growth over the next several years
4: If I, if I can speak artistically to that I, mean, I think we're um, definitely always interested in expanding our audience and so that includes expanding our audience in the US but also um, you know doing doing some international work which um, you know i don't think it's necessary but i think also um sort of allows us to to grow in in new ways and um and is really exciting i mean to take take our work beyond um the borders of the us i think would um give it uh, an even broader relevance um and i think that you know my vision for the ensemble is to really get to a place where um we can be planning you know let's say 5 years in advance major commissions that we can secure that um, Funding not only to commission, but then to record, to um be working far enough out that we can think, think bigger, right? And so we're there in in like a two to three year time frame now. And like I, I'm just always pushing for that to be longer, because the sooner that we know that we have the resources, the sooner that I can begin to dream really big. And I think the big challenge for me then is to allow myself um, to dream as big as possible and then let someone else tell me to to pull back a little bit because my tendency, having been the person, you know, who was on that administrative side for, for longer than I would have liked, you know, is to, to myself say, oh, maybe that's, maybe that's more than, than we should do. Maybe I should be thinking more conservatively. And I've had amazing people, including Anne, but including our board president that say, just think bigger and, and we'll figure out how to do it. And, and that's a, um, That's a big change for Lorelei, and I think that is going to allow us over the next, you know, five years to expand our our footprint, um, not just in the performance world, but in the education world, um, in the commissioning and the reporting world, and uh, yeah, let's just more and more, deeper, deeper.
3: Um, So, Beth and Anne, looking forward, um, there's clearly tons of exciting things going on. Your projects page already alludes to many of the different things that, you've, that you're that you looking forward to. Um, can you tell us a little bit about some of the things that you're excited about and things that we should tell our audience to look out for coming from the Lorelei Ensemble?
4: Yeah, next season, 22-23, uh, is, is huge for us. And, and somewhat, um, you know, things that we've been waiting to do since 2020. Uh, we have the, the world premiere of Her Story. A new piece by Julia Wolfe for Lorelei and, and Symphony Orchestra. We're going to be with symphonies in Nashville um, and Boston and San Francisco and Chicago and Washington, D.C., doing this fantastic new piece um, for in, the cel- in celebration of um, women's suffrage. And, you know, I at first was very disappointed when that was delayed, but, you know, voting rights are always relevant and maybe increasingly relevant, uh, and I, I trust uh, Julia to make a really strong contemporary statement in that piece. So could not be more excited about that. Um, also in 22-23, we're launching this new uh program that we've already mentioned uh, with a new piece by Chris Saron, setting the Beaufort Scale, which is this um historic wind scale that's used by um, you know, sailors for since you know the 19th century. Um, and it's kind of it's poetic, it has uh you know, a very quiet beginning of placidity and, and sea-like mirror. And it goes all the way to devastation and, and hurricane-level winds. And this is, you know, Chris's statement about um, changing uh, climates and, and uh, weather patterns. And along with that, in uh, the first half of that program, we have a new piece by Ayana Woods that is inspired by uh, N.K. Jemisin's Cloud Dragon Sky, which is a incredible short story um, that is looking at the earth after a mass exodus um, due to climate change and and from the perspective of the people that stayed behind um, and so that's just a thrilling um program it's going to have floor-to-ceiling projections by hannah Wasileski for the Cerrone. we've got lighting design we've got music by meredith monk and um, molly heron uh, so that's just that's our that's our touring program that i I've been waiting um, to get out the door for a while. I think one of the most exciting programs we've we've premiered, and then after that, as we mentioned, uh, we recorded David Lang's um, Love Fail uh, several seasons back, uh, which is a really beautiful, powerful, full concert-length piece um, that tells the story of Tristinny Zold uh, from you know multiple multiple tellings across centuries, and then he inserts uh, the poetry of Lydia Davis, which has that very um, contemporary lens on what it means to be uh, in love and in relation with another person. And uh, we have decided to tour that with a dance quartet from uh, Palabalos with new choreography by their artistic directors, Renee Jaworski and Matt Kent. Uh, That's just gonna bring a whole nother level um, to the presentation of those already very powerful texts and, the beautiful delivery by Lorelai that I, you know, I'm excited to revisit. So that's what's coming down the pike. uh, In addition to some recordings,
2: Well, and I don't know when this uh, podcast is going to come out, but we are touring for the first time in two years next month.
3: (laughs) Oh, spectacular. Actually, we should be just actually just right on time. Yeah. We're looking at a couple of weeks out. So, yeah, that's
2: fantastic. Yeah. Beth, do you want to describe our? Sure. Sorry. I I just
4: leaped ahead. I (laughs) know. I love that. Yeah. We are are coming out uh, with some music of the Concerto delle Donne uh, and also um, some Bjork and some Caroline Shaw and Laura Mvula. And then the second half is going to be a truncated um, set of, of, love fail just to kind of get that back under our belts. And we're touring that with um, a wonderful lutinist, and we're going to be in Boston to launch it. And then we're going to Eastman and Duke and Dallas and Knoxville. Um, so anybody listening, that's going to be there. Come check it out. And we can't wait to be back in front of a live audience.
3: So that we can uh, follow along at, uh, at home and mark our calendars so we don't miss any of these things. Um, and where can we find you online?
2: Well, go to LoreleiEnsemble.com, that's our website, and be sure to join our email list when you go there, that way you'll be the first to hear about whatever projects are, are coming down the pike. Um, you can also find us on social media, we're on Instagram at Lorelei Ensemble, Facebook, Lorelei Ensemble, and, uh, and find us on YouTube as well. If you wanna see some of our, our videos, you can see um, the serone and the, and the Lang with the um, Palabalos Dancers as well on YouTube. So yeah, we hope to see you out there.
3: Wonderful news. We will be there. Um, Thank you both so much for an Spectacular conversation. Um, I, I do hope folks uh, follow along. I've been inspired uh, by your organization now for for quite some time since since Michelle uh, introduced it. So uh, I, the best of luck to you. I'm really excited to see these programs. I wish I could fly out to Nashville to see the, the, the performances there. Um, but if you do happen to make it to the West Coast, let us know. You've got friends waiting for you in San Francisco and in the Bay.
4: Well, we're going to be in San Francisco. Oh, you wolf. are? Oh, great. For the Wolf. Yeah. Oh, great. San Francisco.
3: Yeah. I'll be there in the front row with bells on. Great. Just, just ignore that little clanging in the front. My apologies to those <laughs> who are trying to tune against it. Thank you both again for, for a great conversation, and we'll chat with you
0: soon. Great, hey, thank you. Thanks so much. Let's finish off today's episode with a piece that Beth mentioned toward the end of our conversation, Love Fail by David Lang. Written in 2012 for the vocal quartet Anonymous 4, the work was conceived as a rumination on the timelessness of love, weaving together details from the story of Tristan and Isolde with more modern sources. This newly expanded choral arrangement, written for the women's voices of Lorelei Ensemble, adds haunting texture and power, as well as a more fully rounded sound to Lange's austere original. This movement is called You Will Love Me, and you can find this track on Lorelei's 2020 album titled Love Fail, or go visit the Lorelei website to find out when and where you can see them perform the piece live on their upcoming tour, which starts in Cambridge, Mass., this coming Friday, March 18, 2022. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the In Unison Podcast. Be sure to check out episode extras and subscribe at
3: inunisonpodcast.com.
0: You can follow us on all social media at inunisonpod.
3: And leave us a review on Apple Podcasts to let us know what you think.
0: Social media managed by Chorus Dolores, who could have been a professional whistler, methinks. In Unison is produced and recorded by Mission Orange Studios. Our transcripts have been diligently edited by IOCSF member and friend of the pod, Fausto Daus. And our theme music is Mr. Puffy, written by Avi Bortnik, arranged by Paul Kim, and performed by the Danish vocal jazz ensemble, Dynamic, on their debut album, This Is Dynamic. Special thanks to Paul Kim for permission. Please be sure to check them out at www.dynamicjazz.dk.